Hello and welcome to The Price of Football, the show that looks at the money behind the beautiful game with me, Kevin Day, and Liverpool University's Kieran Maguire. I, sh- I should say welcome back, Kieran, because here we are, live, so to speak, back again after your jaunt round the world when you were, <laughs> your laptop was forcibly taken off you. <laughs> it, it was indeed, yes. <laughs> yeah, I, I had a wonderful time, uh, Washington, New York, Philadelphia, uh, Yeah, and, and met, some, met some good people, met... Uh, uh, bet some Palace fans as well, and they were all very welcoming. And went to the Palace pub in uh, in Philly. Uh, so, so that was yeah, it was all good. Yeah, I'd, I'd have to say, Kieran, as I, as I tweeted when I showed that photograph of you and the Palace fans out there shaking hands and holding each other's shirts, they haven't quite got the hang of the Palace Brighton <laughs> thing, have they? <laughs> Speaking of which, I'm, I'm glad you had a nice time. I, it was mainly Croydon and Thornton Heath for me, but. Um, uh, I did. I, I missed you. I've thought of you. Uh, I thought of you in particular when uh, I was casually flicking through Sky Plus to see if there was anything on in between cricket, and I came across uh, the big match revisited, the last ever big match of 1979, uh, December the 30th, 1979, and I thought this is brilliant. And there was a Palace game on, and the, the, the very first thing Brian Moore said was, "Well, we'll be looking back at the 70s, and we'll be looking forward." to the 80s, and we've got a profile of, I think, the most exciting young player that this country has seen. And I think, oh, this is going to be great. It'll be Vince Lear, Jerry Murphy. No, it's Peter Ward. <laughs> Peter Ward of Brighton, which is doubly annoying because the big match is London's football programme. But for some reason, we had, and it also had the most desultory Christmas tree I've ever seen on any TV show ever. <laughs> a, clearly, they'd been to Woolworths. And there was four baubles on it, all of which were reflecting Brian Moore's bauble-shaped head. Uh, it's, like, it's like the London Planetarium, of course. Of, it's, it's, absolutely, it's half man, half biscuit. It was half man, half biscuit, isn't it? It was, absolutely. It was, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, now things have been happening, uh, Kieran, while we were away. Um, <laughs> although clearly we haven't uh, learnt not to distract ourselves before the pod, which many people might have been thinking, well, they've got two weeks off, they might get a bit more professional. No, we had other things to do. <laughs> now, so things have been happening, Kieran, and before uh, questions as it's our questions pod, let's have a look at some of the bigger news stories. Um, finally, all those all those non-Chelsea fans who have spent the last 12 months going, how are they getting away with it? How are they, how's Chelsea getting away with it? Uh, over FFP, and they're, they're not totally getting away with it, Kieran, are they? They're, they're not. Uh, yes, so for fans of the Chelsea, <laughs> um, as, as they as, as they were referring to themselves when I when I saw them play Brighton in in Philadelphia, um, and, and that was difficult to come to terms with. Um, what was the score? The, what was the score, by the way? In that? It was four three to Chelsea. All oh, right, was this part of that um, Premier League in America tournament? The summer series, yes. The summer series, yes. yeah, yeah, where you could yes entertain yourself five minutes before the kickoff by watching the stewards forcing the fans that are in the ground as close to the front as possible. There was there was sixty five thousand there somehow. Were uh, there? It was, yeah, yeah, it was big, big crowd. Was that including uh, season ticket holders? Because it didn't didn't look a lot like sixty five thousand people. No, no, it was it it holds it holds a huge number. Uh, oh, okay. Uh, yeah, it was it was a good good experience. Apart from you know we 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 have a moan about the cost of catering mm. uh, over here. Uh, Twenty seven dollars for burger and fries. Wow. 
that's that's just ridiculous. And that's without um, without quinoa. Exactly, yeah, that quinoa ketchup. Yeah, yeah. There, there, there certainly weren't sixty five thousand people at the Brentford Brighton game, were there? I, I, I suspect not. <laughs> not. Not in Atlanta. I mean, I don't think they've heard of Brentford or Brighton in Atlanta. Uh, anyway, so. Kim, we're four minutes ten seconds in, and we still haven't properly started, and we have got. Uh, we need to get a wiggle on, Kieran, because we want to see the surly Australians do a guard of honour for Stuart Broad. This yes, morning. we do. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, so the new owners of Chelsea um, have reported themselves to UEFA for breaches of FFP during the Abramovich era. Uh, and in particular, this relates to payments to agents which haven't been recorded appropriately. Um, and UEFA have responded with a 10 million euro fine. Um, and we don't know the exact details. But given the nature of football fans and given all of the, the hissy fits that we've seen in relation to Manchester City and fans saying, well, you know, all of their trophies uh, should now be starred with an asterisk. Should the same happen to Chelsea? Yeah, mm. Because Chelsea won the, the Champions League under Abramovich in, in 2021. Um, and remember, Manchester United have had similar uh, in, in relation to a financial fair play. So it's it's not just one club uh, to which this is happening. Um, it does appear that the, the new ownership are doing a classic, uh, a classic activity of anybody that takes over any business they immediately managed to find some gremlins, which mysteriously they failed to find all during the period when they were doing ah, due diligence. Right, okay. Okay, okay. Well, this, is, this is strange. Um, and, of course, it's it's a case of uh, blaming the previous owners for any poor performance under the, the new regime. So un- under the Abramovich era, um, with, with Marina Graviskaya, who was paid the thick end, I think, of £40 million as uh, both her final year salary and uh, to, as, as a payoff. And also Bruce Buck, who, who should perhaps be known as Bruce Past the Buck, <laughs> given the way that he, uh, he his ability to disappear whenever the awkward question started. Um, so they, they're taking the moral high ground, is Todd Bowley and co. This, this is a full and final settlement. Um, they say we just wanted to move on. We, we don't necessarily agree with everything that UEFA has said, but you know, in, in, for, this, for the sake of let's focus on, on this year's uh, football. And of course, uh, it has to be a, a fine for this season because Chelsea aren't in any of UEFA's yeah. competitions following 12 months of the Todd Bowley management scheme. You've answered the first question I had for you, Kieran, which is uh, this idea of reporting themselves is that common practice? But is there, a, is there a chance that they may have done a more forensic look at the books than they would have done be, before they were doing due diligence? I mean, if you're talking about agents' fees, is that maybe something that they wouldn't have necessarily looked at? And secondly, will they be getting a lesser fine because they grasped themselves up, basically? Is this uh, is them thinking, right, the UEFA would have found out eventually and it might have been a much bigger fine? Or do they have enough money that they're not really bothered what the fine is anyway? Um, yeah, look, looking at those those questions in turn, um, they they probably wouldn't have looked at individual transfers and and payments to agents. Um, although it's very strange that the old regime didn't report them, you know, unless this, this was done specifically to try to circumvent financial fair play, because uh, 
Roman Abramovich, uh, you know, and nobody knows that much about Roman Abramovich. In t- and I think there are positives and some very big negatives with mm. regards to him. Um, ultimately, he he treated the the club as a as a personal executive toy, and it and it cost him nine hundred grand a week for for nineteen years. So under those circumstances, you know, why not disclose everything? So that doesn't, I think, reflect particularly well on the old regime. And again, he might have been completely unaware of it. Because yeah. he did de- he did delegate responsibility on a day to day basis to uh, Graviskaya and Buck. Um, so, as that in terms of reporting yourself, it does happen on occasion. Um, I'm aware that uh, Birmingham City, for example, they reported themselves to the EFL a couple of seasons ago. And this formed part of the basis for their points deduction. And under the EFL rules, you have um, aggravating and mitigating factors which impact upon the extent of the tariff that uh, is given by the by the commission. And in the case of Birmingham City, I think it they ended up with one or two points of reduction in in the penalty. I think they ended up with a nine point uh, deduction because they reported themselves. So so there is a case for handing yourself in and uh, sometimes it's it is best to do that uh, especially if you're aware that uh, perhaps the the net is closing then then just then just front up and, and it saves time it saves costs and, and it gets clarity and from Chelsea's point of view a, a 10 million euro fine is uh, is isn't here or there although yeah perhaps if they if they found another 10 million that easily, they could find another 10 million and, and actually pay the asking price for Moises Caicedo and then stop up <laughs> all the, the nonsense which is currently taking place uh, in terms of uh, social media and, and the, the free Caicedo uh, hashtag, which uh, is appearing uh, mysteriously uh, from, from Chelsea fans. Yeah, if you want social media nonsense, just try putting uh, hashtag text next to hashtag CPFC on Twitter. <laughs> Uh, yes, I think um, we've learnt, Kieran, both from the Baroness and Ali in the past couple of years, that fronting up is very much the most sensible thing to do. It's actually, <laughs> yes, it ra- is. Rather than just not turning up at home until the next morning, just just, just drop a phone call and say, oh, I'm stuck, I don't know where I am. Um, in Italy, Kieran, it's, it's, the Juventus story is turning into midsummer murders. Just when you think it's resolved and the credits are about to roll, there's yet another twist. Yes. Um, remember, Juventus, who were one of the three clubs who were planning to rescue football <laughs> um, from from a, a, a murky future. Um, so as well as having the whole of their board resign, um, as well as uh, s- still being one of the uh, champions of Super League until about a month ago, um, they have now been given a one-year ban by UEFA in respect of uh, participation in the Europa Conference League. But as always with Juventus, there's more to this than meets the eye. Juventus don't want to be in the Europa Conference League. You know, whilst, you know, and we'll be talking about this a little bit later in more detail, um, but but whilst if it was you know, Brighton or Palace, we'd be absolutely cock-a-hoop. And, and you've only got to look at the reaction of West Ham players and staff and fans last year to winning the Europa Conference League. Um, it's it's a fantastic achievement for, for any, what you might call, a mid-tier team. Kieran, Kieran um, I'm going to stop you there, Kieran, because this is this 
terrible sham of you pretending that it's hypothetical that Brighton and Europe situation. We 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 all know Brighton are in Europe, Kieran. This is this is probably the only reason producer guys put this question in, isn't it? <laughs> no, 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 that that was the Europa Conference League. Okay. Brighton oh, the, are, are one one tier higher than that. I think you'll find <laughs> this year. We're in the Europa League itself. I think you won't find because I won't be watching any European football <laughs> on TV this, this season, just in case. Um, so Juventus came out with a a very pompous press release saying they had to take into consideration the needs of their sponsors and the desires of their fans who wanted clarity. So therefore, whilst they disagreed with UEFA, they were going to accept the punishment because that would allow people to put the matter to bed and and focus. Um, What they didn't want was a potential two-year ban. And if we go back to 2019, Milan initially were given a two-year ban by UEFA for financial fair play breach. And UEFA said, sorry, uh, Milan said, well, under those circumstances, we're going to appeal. So they went, they started off the appeal process. And then they said to UEFA, look, we can cut your costs and we can cut our costs if we will magnanimously just accept a one-year ban. Mm. And UEFA said, well, it's still seen, you know, still seen as a punishment. So therefore, we're quite happy to go along with that. It reduces uncertainty on our behalf. What Milan didn't say, it, of course, was they were in the, Euro- the Europa League that mm. particular season. And again, it's deemed to be by, by the elite, who are now so ridiculously sniffy that they created their own competition, if we remember, mm. that you didn't even have to win football matches to qualify for. Because Milan didn't want to be in the Europa League, because the, the revenues generated by it are substantially less than the Champions League. They said, we'll take a one-year ban from the Europa League, and that means we can focus on getting top four this season and the certainty that uh, we're likely to be in the Champions League. And for, for these clubs, with the you know their payroll, with the size of their squads, having a one-year hiatus from European competition, I think we saw this with Chelsea about six or seven years ago. Chelsea went on to win the Premier League in 2016 yeah. because they weren't in European competition. And I think... There's a lot of mis- misapprehension in respect of just how much Europe takes out of clubs. I know I spoke to somebody quite senior at Burnley when, when they magnificently achieved uh, participation a few years ago and they finished seventh and they said it was the worst thing that ever happened to Burnley oh, because wow. they couldn't they couldn't cope with Thursday, Sunday, right, Thursday, right, Sunday right. in terms of preparation for Premier League. And ultimately, it's the Premier League which they want to focus on. What I don't understand about this story, Kieran, and UEFA essentially kicking Juventus out of European competition next season, is that we discussed before we went away, before you went away on our, on, on our break, Juventus volunteering, basically. Juventus, again, like Chelsea, grassing themselves up. Juventus said, no, it's fine. We, we withdraw from Europe. We, we realise we've done a bad thing. So is this UEFA saying, that, no, no, we're, we're sacking you before you resign? Is this... Is this just sport politics? What is it? There is a lot of politics involved, and it has to be noted that in the cases of both Chelsea and Juventus, you've got a new board of directors. Uh, So what this allows them to do is to point the finger at the previous regime and say, nothing to do with us, Gov. Yeah. It's all to do with the previous. We we are, you know, we are fragrant, we are 
uh, you know, we, we are uh, we are the good guys in all this, and, and that is quite standard business practice in many many industries. It, it also allows Kieran, as we've seen from some uh, outlets in Italy, it allows Juventus to imply that they're being punished by UEFA for being part of the Super League breakaway group, isn't it? Yes, yes, and uh, that's nonsense. I mean, that's a completely independent issue. Yeah. Um, but you, yeah, UEFA, it's a win-win deal for UEFA. They they get to seen, be seen to be the good guys in this year. We've reported ourselves, and they avoid having to go and play Thursday night matches against the second-best team in Albania. And t- uh, crowds, attendances in Italy are far more erratic than they are here in in the UK. So they they would have not had particularly good crowds, especially for the group games, um, and, and therefore that would be an additional cost from their point of view. Whereas here, you know, the football culture here is, if you're in Europe, you'll 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 get a damn good crowd yeah. regardless of the opposition. Home element, um, yeah. su- such is the enthusiasm, especially in London, because of you know football tourism and the popularity mm. of it. When we first started this pod, Kieran, the the phrase sports washing was not one that we would have used on a regular basis. Um, And now, I'm not sure if it ever has been the Oxford English Dictionary's word of the year, but it's certainly a word we're all using. But I always thought the idea of sports washing was you spent a shed load of money uh, to make yourself look better, more acceptable and more popular. And if anything, the Saudis are doing the shed load of money bit but the more popular and better bit isn't happening. They seem to be drawing attention to themselves in a very negative way by throwing ludicrous sums of money around. And the latest ludicrous sum of money was thrown in the direction of Kylian Mbappé. Yes, and I think the Saudi authorities, to give them some credit, I think they do know what they're doing because they've had the experience of golf and the hostility from the industry and the hostility from the Western media with regards to LIV. And then they've said, well, actually, we quite enjoyed that. And now we're going to do effectively the same thing (laughs) in relation to to football. So initially, the observation was that clubs uh, in the Saudi Pro League were recruiting players towards the end of their careers. And there were analogies with the Major League Soccer in the 70s, you know, you and I, we remember Pele and George Best and yeah, Rodney Marsh yeah. all going across there, um, playing against local players. They could, they could slalom, you know, around five or six defenders and, you know, still have a tequila uh, in, in, their, <laughs> in their hip flask uh, whilst they were doing it. Yeah. And everybody, everybody was happy. And, and then it imploded because there wasn't, I think, the necessary uh, structures behind that. With regards to, the acquisition of the potential acquisition of Kylian Mbappe, and I don't think it's going to take place. Myself, uh, what we've, you always have to have approval of three parties in a deal. And whilst both the buying club and the selling club are happy, there's no indication from the player himself that, despite the amount of money on offer, yeah, he's probably taken the view that I'm a multi, multi, multi millionaire already. Having an extra two hundred million in my bank, but I can't spend it. Yeah. So you know. Uh, so therefore, he's quite happy to to be uh, a bit awkward with regards to this. But clearly, it's a it's a world record sum. Um, it would potentially uh, be for just one year, 
Um, I think the length of the contract issue would be uh, a cause for consideration. And he, Kylian Mbappe wants to play in Madrid. So if this is going to prevent him from going to Madrid in 2024, then I think it will be a non-starter. And clearly his relationship with PSG is pretty fractured uh, given that they let him out there, they've left him off the, the pre-season tour and he's now taking legal advice. You know, is that some form of constructive dismissal? And it's all getting it's all getting very nasty. Um, and yeah, the only winners in this will probably be the sports lawyers. Talking of record sums, Kieran, I was actually quite distressed to hear of the passing of Trevor Francis. Once, of course, the most expensive uh, English footballer and uh, ex-manager of Crystal Palace, who distinguished himself by punching our reserve goalkeeper halfway through a match because he laughed when the opposition scored. But he was a brilliant, what a brilliant footballer for our generation, Kieran. He was he was a superstar, wasn't he? Yes, yes. I mean, I, I remember him playing in, in one particular match at, at Main Road um, against Brighton and. Some players are just effortless, and it's it's very rare that I've seen players. And it, and remember, the pitches in those days were completely different to what we have today. But they their feet didn't appear to be touching the ground. They they just skated and and hovered. Uh, and he was absolutely brilliant. They, they I think they stuffed us four 0 that day, and and we were lucky uh, that it was only four. But yes, a, a truly a truly gifted player. Um, I think a player that didn't really get the credit that he deserved either mm. because of the fee, because there was this really sniffy attitude uh, towards him. And, uh, yeah, it's a, it's, it's a sad loss and it's a, it's a young age as well. Very young. And, sa- and the same for Chris Bart Williams. You know, you know, you're oh, hearing of- it's, gee, yeah, yeah. He's only 48 as well, yeah. Yes. I saw a very moving tribute to him from Jeff Thomas, uh, the club mates at Forest as well. That's. Uh, it's all taken a rather glum turn. Okay, let's to take our last news story. It's a very big news story, Kieran, involving Spurs, although uh, not according to Spurs, who are doing the, the complete nothing, <laughs> really nothing to do with us, despite the fact that the man owns the club. Yes. Um, so this is Joe Lewis, the multi-billionaire who lives in the Bahamas, has one of the world's biggest yachts, um, and historically has been the owner of Tottenham Hotspur. Um, he has been charged by the US authorities with insider trading. And by that, he's, the accusation is that he has uh, given uh, friends, I think, uh, pilots of his private plane and, and, and chauffeurs and friendly assistants, I think is the, the appropriate phrase, um, uh, has, has given them tips with regards to potential money to be made on the stock market. And they benefited from that. Some of the people involved really should have been a bit more discreet yeah. and and put it out and said, therefore, he's come back to him. Um, in October 2022, on the 16th of October, there was a document lodged at Company's House. So whilst I've been away on holiday, I still have been, when she's not, when the Baroness isn't observing me, I've, I've been nipping onto the iPad and just, just checking my updates from Company's House. Um, so in October 2022, there was a change of control 
document uh, which went in respect of Spurs. And there were the names of two new people who were in charge, in theory, of uh, Spurs. And both of these people uh, represent a trust, which is there for the, the family of Joe Lewis. Um, and both of these people appear to be based in the Bahamas, which hmm. is a pure coincidence because it just happens to be where Joe Lewis is based. So on first glance, it would appear that Spurs are correct, that he, from a legal point of view, that he is no longer the owner of the club. And, and that is what it says as far as the documentation is concerned. What the US authorities might do is that they might try to apply something which we sometimes refer to as substance over form. And substance over form uh, works as follows, is that uh, if, if, it, if it looks like a duck, if it swims like a duck, if it quacks like a duck, and if its name is Daffy, just because <laughs> it's got a birth certificate which says it's a giraffe doesn't mean it's a giraffe. So if there is evidence that Joe Lewis is some form of shadow controller of the trust, then potentially um, there could be broader issues with regards to Spurs. Now, Spurs is actually a very well-run football club, so I see no problems whatsoever in terms of its day-to-day activities. Um, It's uh, been the most profitable football club in the history of the Premier League. And even if there was potential issues to do with with Joe Lewis, People say to me, is Spurs up for sale? The way that it works in, in, in football mergers and acquisition is every club is up for sale, although it might not explicitly be so. If somebody comes in with a big offer, then a conversation is going to take place. Um, now, that, that offer might have to be very high, um, but uh, certainly there has been discussions with Spurs and other parties over the past few years. Those parties those discussions haven't necessarily got very far but uh it 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 might cause complications if for all for for what we know you know deals or discussions could have been taking place behind closed doors uh, and everybody's been very uh, discreet and professional about it um that that might cause complications but other than that i see no negatives as far as the club is concerned can i just point out kieran we get enough snippy tweets as it is without going into the realm of duck giraffe identity politics. (laughs) And also, I just love the idea of you going onto the company's house at three o'clock in the morning, knowing full well that that $27 you spent on burger and chips was money well spent because a couple of cocktails on top of a huge burger and chips, the Baroness is gently snoozing in the background. And like any normal red-blooded man, you think, right, I'll get the laptop out. (laughs) <laughs> and I'm getting me onto company's house. Yes. <coughs> Excuse me. Apologies for the coughing, by the way. Um, uh, I have this strange autoimmune disease called sarcoidosis, which occasionally leaves me prone to chest infections, and I've got one at the moment. Yes. So, um, uh, yes, it's a, it's, a, uh, it's mainly horses and elderly Afro-Caribbean people who get it. Uh, so my specialist loves me. Um uh, questions, Kieran, and we've got some very interesting questions today. And the first one comes from Somil Dave. And Somil says, I'm a long-time listener and a long-time questioner with the hope that all the questions in the backlog asked will one day be answered. We don't. We'd, we'd, we'd be a pod down each week, Somil, if we answered all the questions. And my question today is about Man City's most recent accounts, which were published in November last year. 
and Note 10B, which details uh-huh. <laughs> which details a tax rate difference arising because of a revaluation of the stadium. Could you kindly explain why this revaluation occurred? I thought any notional revaluation gains were deferred tax, but I would appreciate you shedding some light on this. Um, not half as much as I would, Kieran. I might go and make a cup of tea while you're answering <laughs> yes. this one. Yeah, th- 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 this is the equivalent of a half volley outside off start first ball. <laughs> um, so, so thank you very much, Samuel. Um, I, I have looked at this in depth, and I do find it very strange. Um there is no evidence that Manchester City have revalued oh, their stadium. Okay. So therefore having tax in relation to it is had me scratching my head. So I'm not a tax accountant. Um, I, I used to teach tax accounting, but uh, it was a very, uh, very painful experience because they changed the rules every year. So yeah. you had this, this huge wodge of new legislation to, to learn. So I stopped doing that many, many years ago. Um, I, I think he's, you're absolutely right that normally if and, – and the way when it works is let's say that you've, you've got a stadium which you bought for £100 million. You now think it's worth £150 million. Well, there's, there's £50 million worth of profit there, but we've not yet made the profit because you've not yet sold the stadium. If you're going to make fifty million pounds worth of profit, then HMRC are going to say, "Well, hold on, we want, you know, we want nineteen percent, twenty five percent, whatever it's going to be of that." And therefore, you're supposed to set aside if you're going to show the increase in the value of the stadium, you ought to show the tax on it. So, I, I do find this one a little bit strange um, because they 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 appear to have done the tax bit, but not the revaluation bit. And um, but I'm, I'm sure there's a logical explanation for it. Yeah, hopefully. Well, if there are any tax experts out there, maybe they can um, help Somil yes. on this one yeah. um, via us, of course. I'm not suggesting. We haven't reached the stage where we're putting people in touch with each other privately yet, Kieran, have we? Think, only on Patreon. Yeah. Oh, really? I, I don't know what we offer on Patreon. I know it's only a pound a week. Uh, Rob Hindmore has a question, and it's a, a useful question because it gives us a chance for an update about a club that's on our on our worry list. It's not as high up our worry list as South End has been in the past, but it's certainly on our worry list, and that's West Brom. And Rob says, on a recent pod, you mentioned that West Brom had loaned their owner a sum of money, and this got me thinking about the interest accrued on loans. Could a club use this interest to fiddle financial fair play as a source of income? And perhaps before you answer that question, Kieran, you could give us a quick update on the latest at West Brom. Well, the, the latest is that um, the owner of West Bromwich Albion, who has borrowed money from the club and promised to pay it back early in 2023. So we are recording this on the 30th of July. Mm-hmm. So I think his definition of early is fairly loose. Uh, there's no evidence that uh, the, the money has been paid back, which which isn't good. He is paying a very low rate of interest on this. Um, we have seen in the past few days reference to a potential takeover or at, the, at a value of £60 million. And people are going, oh, this, this sounds good. And then you say, oh, the owner, uh, to be fair, the owner does have a, a portfolio of business interests, um, is known for making money in the crypto industry. Uh-oh. So exactly, in, in terms of frying pan and fire, 
uh, you know, and for all I know, this this person could have. You know, we we've, we're on good terms with Peter McCormick, and he's uh, he's a uh, quite evangelical with regards to, to Bitcoin, yeah. as opposed to some of the other cryptocurrency offerings. Um, so there, there is a potential deal to be had here, but there is also problems as far as as West Brom are concerned. There's no evidence that they paid this money back. Uh, I don't think they're making many signings. They have got their wage bill down. Uh, but it is quite messy. Now, just tagging back to Rob's question, I think one or two years ago, this was another opportunity for clubs to massage the numbers because you could lend money to the owner, (coughs) let's say three or four million pounds, it could be 20 million pounds, and if you then charged him 50% interest a year, you could have that as money which was coming into the club and presumably that would count towards FFP. What we now have under both uh, certainly the Premier League rules and I suspect under the, the EFL rules as well is that any transactions between what we refer to as related parties and the clubs are subject to scrutiny and are assessed for fair value. It would be highly unlikely that a individual would borrow money from a football club and pay them 50% interest under normal arm's length independent transactions. So therefore, even if the 50% interest was paid, the Premier League will say, well, the market rate is is 8%. So we're only going to allow you to use 8% with regards to that particular transaction. So as part of the ongoing whack-a-mole that uh, exists in terms of people coming up with schemes and uh, I'm I'm not accusing you of trying to create um, a a scheme here Rob but all accountants and lawyers who are involved in this have have been feverishly trying to come up with ways to circumvent the existing rules. Um, I think this particular one could have been allowed um, up until the, the relatively recent tightening of the financial fair play rules. Rob might be quite happy if you accuse him of coming up with this clever idea. Rob, Rob might be straight down the pub telling his mates that that Kieran Maguire said I'd come up with a really clever idea of fixing FFP, and his mates will go, we'll phone West Brom up there. Um, the, the evidence of repaying the loan, Kieran, that you say has not been seen, might that be because it wouldn't appear until the next accounts are out? Would there be somewhere, would the club issue a press release to say that the, the loan has been repaid, or would they think that it's no one else's business until they have to publish the accounts eventually. Well, given the amount of attention that's been uh, given to this particular topic, and you know, we we know people, Adrian Charles, Adrian Goldberg, we know Ali uh, as well from Action for Albion. Given the amount of attention that's been directed towards West Bromwich Albion, and the I think the former chief executive Ron Gourlay, uh, he says I'm I'm in daily contact with the owner. Mm. Um, uh, asking him to repay the money, uh, you would have thought that this would be a huge PR victory if there was any indication that the money had been repaid. So there is no legal obligation to put that into the public domain. But from a marketing and uh, PR perspective, you would expect the club to say, look, you know, the, the owner is, is, is a really good guy. You know, you've been very harsh on him, but he's repaid the money. He's repaid the interest uh, as well. And, and the interest rate uh, is actually the opposite of what Rob was suggesting. It's actually a ridiculously low rate 
uh, at a time of, uh, you know, I'd, I'd like to get my mortgage at, at, at those particular rates that uh, the West Brom owner is paying. But uh, there, there's, I, I, I'm pretty certain that should any money be forthcoming, then there would be something up on the club website almost mm. immediately. Right. Our next question, Kieran, is a nice positive one for a change. And it comes from Toby Kinder. It's such a nice positive question. I'm not going to make any childish jokes about Toby Kinder's name, especially as it occurs to me, it might be pronounced Kinder, which would be mm. a great name, I think. Is your name Toby? Kinder. Um, uh, uh, sorry, Toby. <laughs> I beg your pardon. Toby, Toby's probably going, I'd rather have a Kinder egg joke, mate. Just really, just get it over and done with. But this is a great question, Kieran, and, and you alluded to the fact that this question was coming up. Um, and it's also pertinent because we spoke to the uh, the owner, basically, of the Latvian FA recently about this mm. very thing. And Toby says there is a lot of predictable scoffing about the Europa Conference League when it started from Premier League clubs and fans. But is it a rare case of UEFA getting something right? Last season, I visited Riga and saw local side RFS against Istanbul Basak Shia. The game featured ex-Premier League and Serie A players. The locals were there in thousands with their children and were made up with securing a point in a tight nil-nil draw. They also had Hearts and Fiorentina in their group, both of whom I'd imagine brought decent away followings. I'm guessing the conference is really good for the smaller nations and is bringing income to clubs at this level that, although negligible by our standards, has a significant impact on their balance sheets. And, and Toby's right, we, we, we do tend to look at this from a kind of snooty Premier League prism, some people, don't we? So is, is it a good thing for the smaller clubs? It's absolutely fantastic. Um, and again, I, I'd, I'd refer back to West Ham. You've only got yeah, to see yeah, the, the joy, the apps. You know, and, and, you know, I appreciate that this is a football finance show, but, but you and I are both football fans, first and foremost. Um, so it gives uh, it gives fans the opportunity to see their teams play against European opposition. It gives them the opportunity to travel. And from the club's point of view, if uh, if, if we take a look at uh, UEFA's accounts, their most recent set of accounts, which, of course, I have a copy of, um, you've got a minimum of €3 million Euro for participation in that competition. And that's purely prize money. Now, on top of that, you'd have three home matches uh, as a bare minimum. You would have those away fans coming in as well. You might get sponsors bonuses. And €3 million Euro is, is a lot of money. It, for some of the clubs in, in Scotland, for example, um, it could potentially double or practically double their, their total revenue for clubs in the SPFL. Not That wouldn't be the case for the likes of Rangers and Celtic and also Aberdeen and probably Hearts. But it does have a huge impact. And, it, and for a club in Latvia, for a club in Albania, for a club in Cyprus, um, it can make a significant, uh, significant impact. And... If you make further progress in the conference, um, and I don't think this money would be sniffed at, uh, Roma in 21-22, they made 19 million euro from winning the competition. And that, again, is purely from uh, the, the prize money. On top of that, they would have had you know, six, seven home matches. Now, I was saying to you earlier that attendances in Italy don't tend to be that great, at, certainly at the group stages, but as you as you make progress through the competition, people do pick up more interest. Um, admittedly, from that, you would have to pay costs. And I think this is where 
we see the bigger clubs being a bit sniffy because they do their sums and they realise that once they played the uh, you know, bonuses for uh, participation in the matches, bonuses for winning the competition, you're probably going to lose money overall um, if you are a Juventus, if you are um, you know, Spurs, for example, in, in this year's competition or, or, or whoever it's going to be. But... It's it's going to uh, it, it's going to be a loss leader, um, although you know sometimes football should be about the fans, and, and I don't know fans of that many clubs that that really hate the, the opportunity to to get into a cup competition, to make uh, progress during it, to to go to cities such as Rome or Riga. I, I think it'd be absolutely fantastic, um, and uh, you know they're they're. they're should be that consideration as well, as opposed to, well, we've got to look at it from a bottom line point of view, Mm. first and foremost. Yeah, I'd like to point out to West Ham fans that it was uh, Kieran who called you a small club, not me. So if you're going to send your tweets uh, with various Appy Hammers and Crossed Hammer logos, send them to Kieran Maguire uh, at POF Pod. I still like the fact, I, I love annoying West Ham fans by the fact that only West Ham have got a mascot who is a giant lethal weapon basically or if you prefer a giant tool but um gareth williams has a, <laughs> gareth williams is crafty kieran gareth williams says how do clubs keep track of player wages amortization and all the other stuff do they just use a complex i imagine excel spreadsheet or bespoke software programs and gareth goes on to add i figured that if i mentioned spreadsheets open brackets and tracy crouch close brackets i'll have more chance of kieran wanting my question read uh, Tracy Crouch's birthday while you were away, Kieran. Um, it was. I searched yes. in vain for evidence that she was spending her birthday in Philadelphia, which, <laughs> which should have fed my conspiracy theories. But happy birthday, Tracy, if you're listening. Um, it's it's quite an interesting question, actually, Kieran. Like, you know, 20, 30 years ago, clubs had a, a, a secretary who probably mm. had a, a notebook of some sort or, or maybe a fancy Rolodex. Who knows? Uh, but how do they keep up with all this stuff now? It, well, well, first of all, uh, Tracy Crouch is in Kilimanjaro. She's climbing Kilimanjaro at present. She's oh, raising wow. money for breast cancer awareness really? in, oh, okay. in East Kent. Uh, you know, Tracy has had cancer herself, so yeah. she's a very passionate uh, cause. And if, if anybody wants to support her, if you, if you go onto her LinkedIn page, there's a link there. Um, and it's one of those things you can either make a donation or alternatively, um, I think there's some sort of, some sort of uh, auction of a variety of prizes. And that includes, I think, uh, attendance at a test match, signed Spurs shirts and, and lots of other goodies, you know, things like a spa weekend and so on. So uh, it, it's a fantastic course. So I'll, I'll, get, I'll get that bit out of the way to begin with. Uh, but back to Gareth's question. Um, clubs do have pretty sophisticated accounting systems in the main these days. And they will also have uh, reminders as to when individual payments are made. And I think that's probably the most important thing because we have now moved into the regime of paying transfers by instalments. Uh, it's absolutely essential Uh that you you pay the money on the correct date. We're recording this on the 30th of July, for example, and uh, this show is going out on the 31st of July. And just a reminder to everybody who is self-employed that you've got to pay your next instalment of tax today on the Monday. Um, So... (laughs) 
<laughs> I was in chest infection notwithstanding, and I was in quite a good mood till you told me that. <laughs> right, sorry. Because I had a similar phone call twice last week from Bobby Numbers. It's like, yes, I know. I, basically, it's, it's not a reminder to pay for me. It's a reminder to phone them up and tell them why I'm not paying. <laughs> but, right. but this is the one on account, right? so they're, they're less fussy yes. about the payment on account. So uh, apart from that one, I'm almost up to date for the first time in about 28 years. Right. Um, so I think the the club secretary and the finance director between them will have a list of outstanding payments. With regards to wages, you'll use bespoke payroll software. Um, and I think that's the case for the, for the major clubs and for the smaller clubs. Most small businesses, they'll be using something such as Sage or Zero as a means of uh, doing that, that particular tracking. And they've got, they've got dedicated payroll software. So it isn't so much of an issue because effectively the accounting is, is all done online. I, I know when I first met Andy Holt, at Accrington Stanley, mm. he said that when he first got involved with the club, it was still done in pencil. Wow. Um, so, so he he said, I've never seen – it took him back about 20, 25, 30 years. Um, we were having a discussion earlier uh, with regards to first pay packets. And, uh, yeah, I, I remember receiving my first pay packets. And this was from American Express, you know, a, a bank. They used to go and pay me in cash. Uh, which was which was amazing in those days. Um, so some clubs are still run on a perhaps more amateurish basis. Um, sometimes that's by design um, uh, because they they might be looking to shuffle money around. And mm. I'll say no more than that. I'm not going to mention any clubs, of course. Uh, but there, there are some strange transactions still taking place in the world of football um, for for reasons which perhaps involve. Uh, more of a forensic examination by certain authorities. I, I might try that HMRC pencil trick. I'm sorry, it's just faded in the sunlight. I don't know. I'm sure. <laughs> but I don't, uh, it, it might not surprise you to know, Kieran, that my first pay packet was, was also cash, but there was no pay packet involved. It was just the cash. Uh, <laughs> and there was no accountancy system. But I did keep the. I did get to keep the lead and copper that, the, <laughs> <laughs> that we told people we had to remove by law. I'm sorry, love. It's a new law. You've got that's all got to come out, and it's got to be plastic pipe. Uh, I, I made more from the lead and copper than I made from the builder I was working with. Uh, my dad used to get paid cash uh, through the post. He used to arrive on Thursday morning in a registered envelope. Wow. Yeah, and he he couldn't get the tube to work until the uh, cash arrived to pay the fare. This next one, Kieran, is a, a fascinating one, I think. Um, and, and I'm actually quite intrigued to hear what the answer is. It comes from David Watson. And David said, one thing I found interesting in Rangers accounts last year is that they report merchandise income net, while Celtic report it gross. So that made me think of two questions. Firstly, what is the norm? And secondly, does this give Rangers future wriggle room for the financial fair play perspective? Could they just choose to report gross, thereby increasing revenue, or would there need to be a change in terms with either Castore or a new manufacturer? Right, uh, David. There, there is no norm here. I, I think the issue as to whether you report merchandise income gross or net, and I think in the case of Celtic, it's, it's well over £20 million pounds, uh, that they're showing in terms of you know, their, their, their merchandise sales. 
it probably comes down to who is the risk taker with regards to the sale of the kit. Now, by the risk taker, what happens if there's a you bring out a new kit and for whatever reason it doesn't sell? Yeah, you know, the fans don't like it or it's it's seen as being a bad omen or whatever it's going to be. Um, what do you do with all of the unsold kit at the end of the year? If the football club has the responsibility of having to flog it off or to you know, give it to charity or just to go and you know, stick it in a skip or whatever they're going to do with it, um, if the football club is the risk taker, then they would probably have to show the revenue gross. If the risk is effectively being borne by the manufacturer. And, and I am aware of quite a few clubs who have got megastores, which you think are the, the megastore of such and such a club. And I know this does apply to the Premier League as, as well as other divisions. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I don't know the position in, in precise detail at uh, either Celtic or Rangers. But if the, if the manufacturer is running the, uh, the megastore, then what will happen is... The, the football club will effectively charge them the rent and just take the commission on the sales and report net, uh, as is in the case of Rangers. What, what we're trying to do, I've, I've actually been in touch with, with one of the manufacturers and we're hoping to get them to come on because you, know, you and I, we're both big fans of football kits and mm. uh, it, it could be, uh, it, we could have perhaps a, you know, an, an Ask the, Ask the Kit uh, producers show where where listeners can write in, so I'm just trying to uh, finalise that with uh, one of the major manufacturers, and uh, I think it will be it will be good for you and I because we, we can just talk nonsense about football kits, and uh, I suspect the listeners will enjoy it as well. And um, I, I, having seen social media whilst we've been away, um, I, th- I think the the listeners appear to enjoy the shows where we weren't in them very much. Um, So so the ego took a, took a massive, they'll, they'll be missing me wittering on, on a Thursday morning about the latest. No, no, no. They they love Chloe and they love James Brown. Yeah. Yeah. Um, More Chloe Horrocks, more Chloe Horrocks, more James Brown. Yes, please. Yes. Yeah. I've not been in the palace club shop since they stopped selling uh, palace garden gnomes. Uh, Really? Yeah. I, I got up to five. Uh, my my ambition was to get a, a full eleven, of course, plus a, of course a subs bench. But uh, Ali indicated by the angle of our eyebrows that perhaps that was a, <laughs> an ambition I should park for the moment. Um, our next question, Kieran, comes from Paul McCudden, and Paul says, "Quick follow up question on the John Kevin Augustine story: Leeds have been ordered to pay twenty one million euro. Have they paid it? And if they haven't yet, what would actually happen if they just didn't pay it? So." Paul asked for a quick follow-up, and as we still have a couple of questions to go, Kieran, if we could make this a quick follow-up, that would be probably helpful cricket-wise. <laughs> yes. Um, have they paid it? The simple answer is that we don't know. Um, certainly the story broke in around about April. With regards to the consequences, um, because this is a ruling effectively made by FIFA, FIFA could impose sanctions, and those sanctions are most likely to be connected to Leeds United's ability to sign players. Now, FIFA come in for a lot of stick, but one of the things that they do quite well is that they act as a a clearinghouse with respect of all um, unresolved transfer fees and also unresolved amounts paid to to players. And this also affects the Saudi Pro League. The Saudi Pro League does have a rather poor reputation with regards to player payments, by the way. Um, So we don't know what's happened, but potentially if, uh, if... the money is not being paid by the due date. We could see FIFA following up by by taking sanctions. Sorry, Kerr, this was meant to be a quick answer. The Saudi Pro League have got a poor reputation for paying transfer fees. 
Um, I think uh, player player wages. I know there's oh, been quite oh, a right, few okay, claims. Okay. I, I don't know the score with regards to transfer fees, right. but for a league um, which is so high profile these days, you would think it's an area that they would want to clear up. Um, you know, if Cristiano Ronaldo is going to be paid his weekly wage, because you can just imagine a his bottom lip and b the the fairly global backlash. Uh, against the authorities should those monies not be paid. But I think for some of the smaller clubs who have not historically been owned by PIF or or the uh, the, right. the government as such, uh, that, that things have been a bit spotty. I, I think Christian Arno Ronaldo, Kieran, unlike us, is, is way beyond the stage where he's checking on a Friday morning whether his money's coming, isn't he? <laughs> yes, I suspect I, I think so. he's just going to assume it's coming in, isn't it? Our next question is from Tommy. Uh, Tommy with an I. So he may be from Finland, for all we know, but I suspect, given the nature of the question, he's from Wigan. Uh, Tommy with an eye says, last year, Liam Richardson was sacked by Wigan just a few weeks after signing a brand new three-year contract. Does this mean Wigan effectively have to pay him three years' worth of wages, or do clubs often put clauses in their contracts to present, prevent themselves being liable for their own stupidity? Um, there will be a contractual clause to say in the effect of termination of the contract, these are the following steps that will take place. Now, as far as the manager is concerned, um, that's normally resolved fairly quickly because it's not in the interests of the club for for that to drag on. Um, The League Managers Association will represent the player or the player might actually uh, ask uh, their, their legal legal reps to give uh, some some guidance here it's not always the, the the manager also has an obligation to try to find themselves another position so there will be you know it could be you will get 12 months worth of pay but you've got to be seen to be actively applying for jobs during that period um again there are specialists in this area so um i'll have a chat with one of my uh, uh, employment lawyer friends and, and get them on the show and, and they can probably take us through a an imaginary contract uh, in you know sort of from cradle to grave um, and give us some sort of more specific advice with regards to that but um, they won't necessarily have to pay up all three years is, is the simple answer but it does depend upon the small print most contracts are fairly template driven and uh, therefore there's that's for the protection of both the football mm. club and the manager that's the third person you've invited onto the show already Kieran you, you really are taking that criticism to heart <laughs> that they don't want to listen to us uh, we've got three questions to go, Kieran, and the first one is right up your street. It comes from James King. Uh, James King says, I have a question about FFP and Newcastle United. I understand they were financially well-managed, in inverted commas, under Ashley, which apparently sets them up nicely for the new era with respect to FFP. My question is, given the three-year time period for FFP, surely Ashley's careful financial management is only helpful in the short term. If the club don't spend within the next three years, those sensible years will fall out of the FFP considerations and can no longer be useful to them in this context. Is there a way Newcastle can defer or amortise that FFP credit to continue to benefit from Ashley's cautious approach beyond three years? And there's, there's no doubt, Kieran, that you have said Ashley technically did manage the club financially very well. Yes, it uh, it made money over the uh, period of ownership. He, he also lent the club money or interest free, which we which is not always the case with all owners. Um, so 
as far as James's specific question is concerned, one mention of Mike Ashley, and that's it. He's really sulking. He's, off the, he's out. He's having no more of that. Um, you, you cannot extend that period. So you've got you've got this case of use it or lose it with regards to the financial benefits. However, what you can do, and I think this is what uh, Newcastle have done, and Newcastle's uh, wages as a proportion of revenue, I think is the highest or the second highest in the Premier League as far as 2022 is concerned, is that you, you can certainly accelerate the level of spending. And if on the back of that, you qualify for the Champions League, as has happened with Newcastle, you then get access to that extra yeah, minimum of thirty million pounds, potentially substantially more, um, that will be created on the back of that. So um, you cannot uh, extend beyond three years, but if you use that money well within three years, and, you, and you've got to give credit here to, to Eddie Howe and to Dan Ashworth and the whole team at Newcastle, yeah, they've 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 been really smart with the way that they've spent the money. Then you get the benefits from the the consequences of those good decisions. Mm. Our penultimate question, Kieran, comes from Tim Fitzgerald. And Tim says, what would happen if a newspaper or broadcaster decided to leave out the word Sky Bet before Championship or League One or Two? Would Sky Bet be able to do anything about it? And if not, why does the media give away all this free advertising to the gambling industry? If we could answer this question, Kieran, without rehearsing our issues with gambling in football, it would probably be helpful time-wise. But it's interesting, on Saturday, Kieran, my favourite flat race of the season, uh, the King George and Queen Elizabeth took place. Uh, I didn't have a bet. But it was notable that before the first ad break, one of the presenters uh, mentioned the name of the race several times without mentioning the sponsor's name in it. And after the first ad break, she mentioned the name of the race uh, with virtually only the sponsor's name in it for uh, several minutes. So clearly somebody had had a word of her during the commercial break about not omitting the sponsor's name from the race title. Yes. Um, s- sponsors of competitions also pay a lot of money for adverts on television and in newspapers. So it's not in the publisher's interest to avoid uh, giving the name of the sponsor. Now, it is very evident that if you read certain newspapers, they tend to be more relaxed about it than others. And that could be because they've got a direct or indirect link historically with the name of the sponsor. So we, we still see have you know, references to the EFL Championship as opposed to the Skybet EFL Championship from quite a few parties. Mm. Um, but I think there is probably a contractual obligation that if you are going to pay for the broadcasting rights, then you've got to mention the name of the sponsor a de minimis a number of times. Yeah, I've I've been in plenty of uh, tunnels at football matches after games, watching the dainty ballet between the BBC uh, pundit and cameraman and the club's press officer, as the club's press officer tries to put the manager or player being interviewed in a way that so many of the sponsors' names can be seen on the board and the people from the BBC try and block as many as they possibly can. Our last question, Kieran, is one of those light-hearted ones which we like, but which may start a serious conversation for all we know. And it comes from Roberto Petruccio. And Roberto says, I have a random question about Ashton United and their attempt to sign Erling Haaland tweet during the World Cup. 
Within a couple of hours, the club had gone viral with several big Twitter platforms picking up the story. As so, we can't call it Twitter now. X with several X platforms picking up the story. It's confusing. He's, Elon Musk is meant to be a genius, isn't he? As a result, their website crashed due to the volume of traffic. Uh, I promise this relates to finance, Roberto says. Obviously, they would have been able to afford Harland, <laughs> but it got me thinking about advertising and whether this PR tweet would have meant they gained a bit of extra income as the adverts on the website would have been seen by an extremely high number of people in comparison to normal. Would there be any other ways they would have financially benefited from this tweet? Um, what could have happened is that if a commercial potential partner saw it, they might say, I like the cut of your jib with regards <laughs> yeah. to your, your PR strategy. And on the back of that, um, we're, we're going to sign a front of shirt sign a deal or a back of shirt uh, deal. Um, and therefore, you could benefit from that. Um, certainly, you know, the, the, the benefits of going viral on social media um, can be monetized. Um, and uh, you know, that's, that's all part of, of being smart in, in the world of marketing and advertising. Um, my, my big issue with Elon Musk is that I've got a Malcolm X T-shirt. Oh, because uh, I'm a big fan. <laughs> so should, should, should I now should he now be known as Malcolm Twitter? I, I don't I don't know where we stand with regards to that. That's a very good point. And uh, people will be watching you walk around in your Malcolm X shirt, going, "How much money has Elon Musk paid him yes, to advertise?" Right. Twitter? Malcolm. Yeah, that's very funny. I feel sorry for the, um, the seven-year-old Ashton United fans who won't have known that that tweet was uh, postmodern and ironic. Yes. They were thinking, Erling Haaland's coming to Ashton United. Um, it's good to be back, everybody. Um, apologies for the cough. Uh, I promise you it will be gone by the next uh, pod, as I'm aware of the cycle of my chest infections. Thanks to everyone who's donated. That's not a sentence I expected to read out loud at any stage, <laughs> Kieran. I'm aware of the cycle of my chest infections. Thank you. And thanks to everyone who's donated to the pod via our Patreon page. If you'd like to make a small monthly contribution to the pod, that would be very kind of you. You could do so by going to patreon.com slash priceoffootball. If you have a question you'd like answered on our next questions pod, which will be next Monday, email us at questions at priceoffootball.com. We'll be back on Thursday with all your latest football finance news. And in the meantime, I shall hand you over to Mr. Kieran Maguire for his customary farewell. Well, thanks for everybody for your support um, and uh, keeping keeping us going over the break. Um, I hope you enjoyed the shows. And, and if anybody does have any, I think the general consensus was that they seem to enjoy the nostalgia show. Mm. If you think they are good fun, let us know, and we're quite happily have a go at you know, one or two again. Uh, you know, they were they were they were good fun researching, and uh, we we do like to get nostalgic. Mm. And myself and Kevin, as, as you probably know from the number of references to 1970s sitcoms <laughs> that managed to creep onto the show. Um, there is a Patreon if you want advert-free, um, I think for £3 a month, um, and also access to um, the the, uh, the quiz, which will probably take place twice a year. Uh, it's always good fun to, to interact with people and to see people on a face-to-face basis. But there's another way you can support the show, and that's to go on to your app, and that is to uh, to give us a review. Uh, we, we, we don't know quite how it works, but producer guy keeps telling me, algorithms, Kieran, algorithms, that's all you need to know. Um, it you can write whatever you want. You could even say you would rather have the show presented by Stuart Broad and Roly Birkin QC. <laughs> and I think that would be a fantastic show. <laughs> Stuart Broad might be uh, a bit more chipper now he's retired from the game because uh, I've met Stuart a couple of times. And lo- like most fast bowlers, he's angry. He's... <clears throat> 
fast bowlers and groundsmen are without a doubt the angriest people in sport. So perhaps we've got Stuart Broad and uh, a football groundsman on together. That would be that would be fun. <laughs> yes. but I suspect only one of them would come out of the room unbeaten. <laughs> <laughs> Bye, everybody. Bye. Some football.